This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c I want to define what trauma is first in the most like simple and digestible way. So the word trauma in Greek translates to the word wound. Trauma is a wound from your past that shows up in your present and affects how you orient towards the future. So that's really important to know. Also, what's really important to know is trauma is deeply personal and trauma is deeply contextual. Meaning what may be trauma for one person may not be trauma for another person. What may be wounding for one person may not be even on the radar for another person. Welcome to the Talk podcast, a podcast that continues to grow because of you and your reviews, a podcast where I get to welcome the most amazing guests to chat about all things parenting, child health, child development, and parental mental health and health. Today's guest is a repeat guest on the show. And you know that when I have a repeat guest, it's because I love them so much. I love their conversations and I had to get them back on the show. Today's guest is Kobe Campbell. She is a licensed trauma therapist and author. Her book is called Why Am I Like This? How to Break Cycles, Heal from Trauma, and Restore Your Faith. And she was on the podcast earlier this year talking about how positive parenting positively impacts kids. And I'm inviting her back to chat about what exactly causes childhood trauma. I wanted her to come back because I feel sometimes, especially on the social media space, we label things as trauma that aren't technically trauma. So we're just talking about what childhood trauma is, what may cause trauma, and how we maybe know that a child has experienced trauma. But thank you so much for joining me today, Kobe. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be back. Yes, our conversation last time filled my heart with so much love. And so again, if you have not listened to that episode, How Positive Parenting Positively Impacts Kids, make sure you do. But for anyone who has not listened to that episode, tell us more about yourself, the work you do as a licensed trauma therapist as well. Yes. So I am a trauma therapist and I really help people heal. And my heart is to help people heal so that they can live lives that they love. Um, And that usually means having to process, revisit, talk about some really hard things that they've experienced primarily in their past, primarily in their childhood. And so I give them a place of safety and I give them resources and I give them tools to help them get through some of the ways that their past is showing up in their present so that they can positively orient towards the future. Uh, love it. And again, we talked about this so deeply in the other episode that we were on together. And so I can't wait to dive into this topic. And this topic is about trauma, childhood trauma. As a licensed trauma therapist, I'm sure you've been there many times since <laughs> your, your bread and butter. But yes. I think, you know, like I mentioned already, I think all parents listening want to provide the best path for our children, you know, yet sometimes 
things are labeled as trauma that aren't, or maybe something could lead to trauma down the line and we just don't know it. So kind of a loaded question because I'm sure there's a lot of nuance and stuff, but what exactly defines things in childhood that can cause trauma? Ooh, you're right. That was a loaded question. (laughs) I'll say this. I want to define what trauma is first in the most like simple and digestible way. So the word trauma in Greek translates to the word wound. Trauma is a wound from your past that shows up in your present and affects how you orient towards the future. So that's really important to know. Also, what's really important to know is trauma is deeply personal and trauma is deeply contextual. Meaning what may be trauma for one person may not be trauma for another person. What may be wounding for one person may not be even on the radar for another person. So I don't know if I even told you this, but fun fact, I'm a twin and my husband is a twin. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about this pretty extensively that like what I felt was trauma in my childhood My sister's like, huh? I don't remember that. Mm. Or she's just like, oh yeah, I remember that, but I didn't think anything of it. And same thing with him. And there are lots of studies about how, uh, specifically about twins, because we're twins in Nerdow, about how two people with the same environment, the same biological dispositions can perceive the same situation differently. And so I want to encourage parents to like take a deep breath and remember that they cannot control fully what their children receive as traumatic later on in life, right? It's deeply personal. It's deeply contextual. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to not hurt our children. And that doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to do the best that we can in showing up for them. And I think a question we should really be orienting ourselves around is, is this wounding to my child? If trauma is a wound, am I wounding my child? Sometimes helping someone looks like to the outer eye hurting them, right? So I might be taking my kid's shirt off because it's covered in throw up and he might be fighting me back. Am I helping him or am I wounding him? I'm Mm -hmm. actually helping him because he's covered in throw up (laughs) and I don't want him to sit in a soaking wet shirt, right? And so I think that as we think about trauma, especially as parents, Our goal should not be, am I traumatizing my kid or not? Our goal should be, am I connecting to my kid? Am I building trust with my kid? Am I building safety with my kids? Am I helping my kids instead of wounding my kids? Because all of those things are the complete opposition of what trauma is, right? And if we orient ourselves toward that instead of a constant fear about what trauma, if we're traumatizing our kid, we find ourselves not traumatizing our kids. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You're kind of trying to protect them too much in a way? Well, I think that a lot of us become really preoccupied with like, is this traumatizing my kid? Yes. We lose sight of what it means to guide our children. Right. Correct. Sight of what it means to have healthy authority in our children's lives. And we begin to think if my child is crying, then I've traumatized them. I've wounded them. And then we begin to let our kids' emotions run the show in the house, run the show in our lives because we're so afraid of the trauma. We're so afraid of them. And so what we do subconsciously is we actually orient ourselves towards trauma and not towards health Mm -hmm. because we're so afraid of it. Yeah. Well, you talked about crying, like uh, the example you gave was perfect about vomit on a shirt, right? Like you're looking out for, is this wounding my child? Is this something that needs to happen? And I feel like a lot of the, the sentiment on, I hear online, you know, or maybe even my office is about like equating crying to trauma. And I I would love to kind of dig into that further that 
crying is an emotion, but tell us more about why, or I guess why not all crying is trauma and why we need to be okay with some crying. I mean, I get it. It's like a, it's such a balanced conversation because I don't, I'm not saying that we should just let our kids cry and not be there for them, but why is there this misconception that crying equals automatically trauma? Yeah, I think it's because we don't actually have an accurate perspective of what emotions are. Mm-hmm. And we haven't fully accepted that the full range of emotions is needed for a full life. Right. And so we think that, oh my gosh, our kids are feeling angry. They're frustrated or feeling these emotions that I'm not yet acquainted with. And so I must be hurting them deeply because I don't understand that it's normal for a kid to cry because they don't like something. Right. I mean, I totally get that. And I talk to parents about it all the time in my practice. They're like, you're not traumatizing your child by setting boundaries. You're not traumatizing your child by making them do something they don't want to do, like brush their teeth or take a shower. You know, just because they don't like it doesn't make it trauma, right? And gosh, yes. And like, even as a trauma therapist, I have to remind myself of that, right? Like, there's nothing worse than when your kid's nose is completely blocked up with like sticky snot Mm -hmm. and you're trying to suck it out and they're like screaming bloody murder and you're like, no, am I hurting you? And it's like, well, the alternative is that you struggle to breathe. Is that love? Is that care? Is that me loving you well? No, it's not. And so I think that we have to understand just because our kids don't like what we're doing doesn't mean it's trauma. And we won't know what our kids' traumas are until they get older, right? Like Mm -hmm. trauma is past pain that lives in the present and orients how we act in the future, right? So if it's something that instills fear in our child, if it's something that instills a sense of unworthiness, a fear of speaking up, a fear of connecting, that might be something that's deeply wounding to our children. It might be, but is helping your child get their shoe off because they stuck it on the wrong foot and now it really hurts and they can't get it off? Is that trauma because they're screaming? No, you're helping them. And I think that we have to understand that providing positive presence and providing positive care does not always mean that our kids are going to display positive emotions. Yeah. And I think this conversation is so important because like I said, I feel that there's this this shift that's happened in modern parenting, if we want to use that term, like our generation that's parenting, you know, children in, in the 2020s, uh, is that I think every, a lot of us want to be respectful and you, you know, yeah. talking about going back to positive parenting, we want to be that positive force. We want to understand the child's development and we want to be respectful. But in some ways, some parents I see, many parents shift to the, the extreme of, I want to be so respectful that if they're upset, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. And I think that's such an unhealthy thing because like you mentioned, yep. you said perfectly with the taking out the snot, uh, brushing teeth, for example, like, of course we can, of course, for like we can show our children model, but for a younger toddler, I'm talking like a 14 yep. month old, they may not want to brush their teeth. And so in that example, we're going to brush your teeth in a very loving way, as loving as possible. And we're going to give kisses and hugs, but we need to brush your teeth because I do not want you to get cavities. Like, and Mm -hmm. so I think a lot of times parents don't do the brushing or don't do the, what they need to get done because, well, my kid hated it. They cried. And I'm like, Oh, like, I'm like, I'm not saying. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess where's that balance? Because you said it perfectly that yes, when we're trying to get things done, let's use like brushing, holding to give medicine. I'm doing all the things for like medical. Okay. Uh, Brushing, Uh holding to give medicine, (laughs) um, vaccines, right? Where is that line? I guess of, is this holding 
causing my child trauma because a lot of parents like are afraid to hold their child. And there was a fame, there was a dentist on social media, a very loving father. I can obviously tell just by looking at them who one of the dental holds for brushing teeth is for a younger child, you'll um, sit on the ground and you'll put your legs over the child's arms. And for people who haven't seen this, it's not, you're not forcing, you're not painting, you're not yelling, you're not threatening. You're literally like laying them down, their arms are under your legs and you're opening their mouth and using your hands to brush while you're like kissing them, tickling them. And oh my gosh, Kobe, the amount of like, you're traumatizing that child. Just wait, just wait till that child is older and they're seeing a therapist. I'm like, oh my gosh, like how yeah. are you looking at one situation with the family and they're beautifully demonstrating how the dad who is a dentist, by the way, is able yeah. to get in to the back gums and the back teeth and the child is going to be fine. Like, I yeah. guess it's so hard because I see this a yeah. lot and the judgment and the, oh, just wait, just wait until you need therapy. You're traumatizing your child at buzzword. And I think that buzzword causes so much shame and guilt yeah. to parents. So yeah. like, how is a parent supposed to navigate that? Like when they're just trying to do their best, they're hearing all these things. And is it that these things are traumatizing? Yeah, I would say no. And I have two kind of ideas in my head swirling around. First and foremost, again, trauma is deeply personal and mm -hmm. deeply contextual, right? And I yes. think that is why we have to be careful about saying that was traumatic to you, that was traumatic to me. There are some things that are undeniably traumatic. Getting in a car crash, absolutely. Yeah. You know, being in a natural disaster, absolutely. Being abused, absolutely. But if that child's parent was a dentist, that parent probably had a conversation of consent. That parent probably worked up and built trust, even if the kid didn't like it, let them know exactly what they were doing, why they were doing it, and explained it. We have to understand our kids have never been here before. Right. If we can build a sense of norm for them, right? Not completely. There's some things that are just wounding. No one likes to be screamed at. Our bodies react in yeah. a way that is unsafe. But the reality is like, it's deeply personal and it's deeply contextual. For somebody, they might think, oh my gosh, that'd be traumatizing. Well, that may be because you're looking through the lens of how your parent may have done that or your parent mm -hmm. may have you know, spoken to you or not spoken to you, not given you an opportunity to consent, things like that. And so- that's so important. Trauma is deeply personal, deeply contextual. You don't know what is trauma to someone, especially within the context of how they're raised and what their culture is. So I want to first say that too. I think a great like marker, key guidance principle for parents in this situation is, am I demonstrating behavior with my child right now that I would want them to demonstrate to themselves in love and care as adults? Mm-hmm. Yes, I want my kid to brush their teeth when they get older. Why? Because I want them to take care of my body. Mm -hmm. Teaching my kid that they have to brush their teeth even when they don't want to. I'm demonstrating behavior even against their will because their itty bitty sweet brains don't have the capacity to process what's good and what's healthy. It's just what I want and what I don't want. I do want to set an example of caring for your body even if they don't want to care for their bodies right now. I do want to set an example for them for taking care of themselves through going to the potty, even if they don't want to go to the potty right now, mm -hmm. listening to their bodies, setting a timer for 30 minutes. We did this with my son. Every 30 minutes, we just checked to see if we needed to go pee. Why we're trying to teach him to pay attention to his body. He yeah. hated it. <laughs> he thrashed, <Yeah. laughs> he kicked. It was, it was like a WWE SmackDown. <laughs> yeah. Do I want, am I teaching him and demonstrating behavior? I want him to adopt in love and care as an adult. 
Yes. Even if he doesn't like it right now. And I think that when we think of through that lens, am I doing something for my kid right now that I know that they will do for themselves later? And if they do it for themselves later, it will be done in love. That is a great kind of like thing to filter our actions through because in the moments, I mean, when our kid is activated and screaming, we're activated and we're internally screaming and we don't need the voices of the people on the internet telling us that we're traumatizing our kid. They have no context for what it means to show up for our child in the way that our specific child needs. And so I have fully, um, I fully receive everything you're saying and like live it out as a mom who had chronic mastitis, thrush. It was really bad. I had to stop breastfeeding. I thought uh, they found a mass in my left breast. And so it was just, I like pushed through as much as I could. And the doctors were just like, this is going to deeply affect your health. You have to stop. And the response from friends, family, even people on the internet was like, well, can't you use your right one? Oh gosh. This <laughs> yeah, is not what's like, best for yeah. your kid. You're pumping your kid with chemicals. You're and like yeah. I just want to say to parents, it is totally okay to silence the voices of strangers on the internet. Mm-hmm. It is okay to set a boundary for yourself in that way. And as long as you know that you're showing up for your kid in a way that is setting a trend of health and care for themselves in the future, like you're doing a good job. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno lime cheddar chicken and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code PEDSDOCTALK50 at factormeals.com slash PEDSDOCTALK50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
Oh, so beautifully said. And yeah, I mean, this really ties into judgment. And we talked about judgment a little bit on the other episode too, but how judgment can negatively impact our parenting and how it really makes us second guess ourselves a lot of the times. And then you can start to, because you see the judgment and people telling you, you can't hold your child like that to brush their teeth. And by the way, from a dent, like for me watching that video, it was a dentist father. I know he knows yeah. what he's doing. And even uh-huh. if it wasn't a dentist father, let's say it was another, I know that is actually an appropriate thing to do, but that's because I'm a pediatrician. I understand child development. I understand that this moment is not going to be the reason why a child is resenting their parent in the future that they had to brush their teeth, but it's yeah. just like, it's so hard. And the judgment is really like you said, silencing the stranger, silencing those people in your life. I mean, of course, Mm -hmm. creating boundaries with like loved ones who may be spewing the negativity and you should do this and you should do that. It can Mm -hmm. be really, really hard. And the last area, so we talked about brushing and I would throw in um, holding to give medicine and vaccines. And I want to reiterate to everyone listening that our goal is yes, I as a pediatrician never want to have to hold down anybody to do anything if I don't have yeah. to. So yeah. preparation is important, verbalization, debriefing mm-hmm. after. I mean, of course, this is a given, but like vaccines, sometimes we have to have the parent hold them in like a big bear hug. And I want to reiterate that I think the difference here is that this is not yelling threats holding. This isn't like you sit down and you shut up and I'm going to I'm going to hold you <laughs> yeah. down. It's that to me is traumatizing. And I think you mentioned that. That to me is like, whoa, whoa, like let's not be using physical aggression and anger. But I'm talking, hey, sweetie, it's time to do the vaccine. I get that you're upset. I'm going to give you a big bear hug right now. And I'm going to give you a kiss right after. I think there's a difference there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, and I talk about this and that's why I wanted to chat with you because I'm like, I see the difference. Like in the office too, when there's getting to be this sort of yelling match with the child and the parent who's, the parent is usually the one who's frustrated because they just want to get home and the yeah. child is screaming and crying in a corner. I have to tell the parent, I'm like, this isn't going to go how we want it to go if there's yeah. yelling and anger and all of that. Like we need to deescalate. We need to calm the child down. That doesn't mean the child's going to put out their arm and yeah. give me the arm for the vaccine, but I cannot vaccinate your kid if they're screaming in a corner and you're yelling at them too. <laughs> Absolutely. And what's so interesting is like, you know, I learned with my firstborn because the first time around, it may have been, you know, the not so great explanation that you shared. But yeah. after, you know, really getting into positive parenting and respectful parenting and just kind of like figuring out like you're feeling chaos, I'm feeling chaos, what's going on? Yeah. Like we got to a place where there were a couple of times where I had to stay calm, do some deep breathing myself, regulate mm-hmm. my own emotions, hold him down and, you know, hold him in that big bear hug for him to get the shot. And something amazing happened. Probably two times later after he had to get shots, he said, mommy, I think I can sit for this one. Oh, wow. That's it. That's what we want to see. And he was still nervous. He still closed his eyes. He still held my hand. But there was something about him knowing, like, I'm holding you, not just to restrain you, but also to give you a sense of security that I'm here with you as you're experiencing this. And I'm not upset at you for having big feelings about it. Yeah, I really appreciate having this conversation about the difference between a grown human restraining a child versus holding a child. There's a difference. Like I I see it. We talk about that with brushing, with medicine, like uh, with vaccines, because there is going to be times. And I've been there, too, with my own children that I've had to hold my son in that same hole that the dentist had where he was laying down and then he would be upset. And I'm talking him through it. I'm saying, I love you, sweetie. This is so important for your teeth. We're going to get up and I'm going to give you this big hug and this big kiss and you're going to be all done. And after 
we follow through, right? There's this yeah. connection, like you said, going back to that connection piece. And I love how you phrased it. Is this wounding my child? Okay, in yeah. that moment, I think that's such a good question that parents can ask themselves. Is this wounding my child? The last yeah. thing I wanted to talk about, which I think we could spend a whole episode, but I wanted to kind of, because we're talking about judgment, we're talking about, uh, you know, what is trauma is sleep training. I know you're not a sleep training expert in the way that, you know, have methods and stuff like that. But, um, you know, Ferber method, which involves crying in intervals and checking in, there has been research studies that show efficacy and safety. And even from my clinical experience, I do believe that it is something reasonable. And it's what we did with our son. If a family wants to do it, let's be clear, you don't have to sleep train, you don't have to do Ferber. But there is that sort of intervals of, okay, you're crying, I'm going to check in, there's love, there's connection, like we talked about. Do you see any any harm in sleep training? Is it hard to say? Is it that it really just depends on situations? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I would say sleep training works really well with one of our kids. Like he literally sleeps like 12, 13 hours and he's a baby and he's great. And, you know, with our other son, he had more difficult issues sleeping. And so it's okay to not feel like you have to fully commit to any specific type of modality when it comes to showing up for your kids. The same way that trauma is deeply personal, deeply contextual, connection is deeply personal and deeply contextual. And so I don't see any problem with sleep training. Again, I'm not an expert, but um, I will say this, one of my kids just needs a little bit more connection than the other. I wouldn't even say more connection. He needs more physical presence mm-hmm. in this connection. Uh, I think they both deeply need connection, but one of them just wants to lay in bed a little longer, has a little more like anxiety stirring up at night, has a little, and so we give him a little more, you know, right. and we, we don't swing all the way to the side of like not letting him experience distress because there is an age appropriate um, developmental stage where kids do need to experience distress, obviously not too much of it so that they can learn how to handle it and respond to it, you know? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I just think that like he, our oldest son, he's in that space where we're like, you know, mommy and daddy are going to, we're going to read a book. We explain everything. We're going to read a book. We're going to lay down with you for a little bit. Maybe we'll sing you a song. And then after five minutes, the timer's going to go off and then we're going to walk out. And I know you might feel really overwhelmed and really sad, but we believe that you can handle these emotions. And if you ever feel too overwhelmed, like just knock on the door and we'll come up and we'll, we'll coach you through some breathing. We'll yeah. pray with you. And like, so we're teaching him, Hey, you're not getting everything you want, but when you're in distress, we're going to be there not to just take the distress away, but to coach you through how to deal with the distress and that's something that no one can take from him you know and so I think that sleep training also I think sometimes we forget sleep training is also about the family system Mm -hmm. parents cannot show up with a sense of courage and a sense of salient connection when they are sleep deprived yeah like parents matter in the child rearing process as well and so I've had to tell some friends like you're sleep deprived like it's right. affecting every part of your life. You have to sleep. And sometimes that means your kid might cry for an extra five or 10 minutes, but yeah. you have to sleep because you'll be able to give them what you couldn't give them in that 10 minutes the whole next day because you were more rested. Yeah. And I mean, also you were talking about, is this wounding my child? Like when you're doing this, is this wounding me? Is this helping me? Like I talk about that a lot, like the pausing, like five, 10 minutes, like there is this misconception that there has to be this immediate, again, going back to the crying, right? Going back to that, they can't cry at all. And yes, there is that balance. I love what you said, because this is what I preach about sleep training in general, is that 
again, we do not have to sleep train if a family does not want to. And number two, the method may be different. And it's so important that people know the methods. Like I wanted to do a more gradual cry method with my son, but it actually made him more agitated if I came into the room. So then we did a Ferber and then we had to extend it where I gave him longer periods of crying, which you Mm -hmm. may think like, wait, that goes opposite, but it actually worked for him. And I can have that second kid, like you're saying, and that second child understanding their needs and their temperament could be completely different. Like you may need to do more, like you said, more hands-on, more physical. And that is what I'm trying to, you know, make sure people understand that because there is judgment, right? You do, you do, (laughs) you co-sleep with your kid, there's judgment. You you do a cry method with your kid, there's judgment. I recognize that all that judgment exists and it all comes down to labels of trauma. Oh, that's traumatizing. You're going to traumatize your kid. And so what can a parent do if they're online and hear people call, you know, they're like, just say they're, they post something and everyone, someone comments like, oh, that's traumatizing. How can they approach it? And how can they block out that noise? Or how can they kind of reevaluate? Is this something that is okay for my child? I know you already mentioned that beautiful thing about asking yourself, is this wounding to my child, which I think people mm-hmm. will really resonate with. Is there anything else they can ask themselves or tell themselves? Or is that a pretty good statement? I love it, but I'm wondering if there's anything else. Yeah, I mean, something I ask myself regularly is, is this something I am proud of myself for doing? Yeah, that's a great one. Mm-hmm. Other people may not like it. That's okay. But am I proud of myself for laying in bed with my son for an extra five yeah. minutes? I am proud of myself for that. You know, and for you, that might be, oh, you're not letting him develop autonomy or, you know, he's going to be too attached or whatever it is. But I know the deeply personal and deeply contextual needs of my child. And so for me, it's am I wounding my child and am I proud of my actions? I think that is so beautiful because you just said it in a way that is literally giving ownership to that family to make the choices for themselves, not comparing to others, trying not to listen to whatever anyone else says. And to me, I feel like parents, especially mothers, and have a really hard time with accepting that and saying, I'm um, going back to what you mentioned about like formula um, or stopping to breastfeed, right? You had mentioned about like how you pivoted and there's just going to be a lot of commentary, but you're doing what's best for you, best for your mental health. And oh, being proud of that is going to resonate with your family, right? Like when you, we talk about sleep uh, being so important for mental health and being able to show up for our kids, but also feeling confident in the choices that you make, like you just said, I love it. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, Kobe, this was so great. Like I said, I love chatting with you on that other episode, how positive parenting positively impacts kids. This was another amazing conversation. I think I might need you to be like a monthly guest because I love talking to you so <laughs> I would much. love to. I would absolutely love to. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, tell us a final message for everyone listening today. Yeah, it is okay for you to do what's best for yourself and your children, even if other people don't agree beautiful, succinct. I love it. It completely ties in everything we just said. Thank you so much, Kobe. This was such a great uh, time talking to you. Where can people find you, including your book? Um, I know you released earlier this year um, to stay connected with you. Absolutely. You can find me on all the socials at Kobe Campbell underscore. Um, You can find my book pretty much anywhere. You can buy books. Why am I like this is the title. Um, You can also visit me at www.kobecampbell.com. Wonderful. And I will be attaching all of that to our show notes so that you can stay connected to Kobe, her amazing book, Why Am I Like This? How to Break Cycles, Heal from Trauma and Restore Your Fate. And also remember to check out our other episode about positive parenting. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kobe. Thank you so much for having me. 
And for everyone listening, do remember to leave a review and rating if you loved what we talked about. Show Kobe some loves in those reviews because it really means a lot to us. I love chatting with her. I have a feeling she'll be on again and again. Uh, but yes, your reviews mean so much to the show and our continued growth. And I cannot wait to talk to another guest next time. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.